Hey, I'm Steve Full and welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 80,000 freelancers and small businesses. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. And support also comes from With Jack. They help keep you in business by supporting you financially or legally if you have problems with a client. Get the freelance insurance you deserve. A With Jack policy starts at just £14 a month, and with zero cancellation fees and monthly plans, you have complete control over your protection. Visit withjack.co.uk and be a confident freelancer. And right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for illustrator Stanley Chow. I got a phone call at three o'clock in the morning and saying, where the white rights management? And I was literally crapping myself because I thought, oh my God, I've just done a bootleg white rights poster. They were ringing me up to kind of like sue me. But then I said, oh, Jack and Meg have seen your poster and they want to work with you. And it, was, it, it almost felt like I've justified myself in doing this as a job. And I got my big studio on me end and then hired someone else full-time to kind of work with me. It was, it was a justification that I was doing the right thing, really. Because you spend so many years slaving away, not really knowing what direction you're going to head in. And then 10, 11 years down the line, it's like, oh, this is actually works out really well. As a freelancer, I don't know what's going to happen the next day. I'm worried every day that this last job will be my last job, you know what I mean? Because one day it just might just stop, you know. I'll never rest on my laurels. I'll never take anything for granted. Yeah, so there is Stanley. I'm very excited to be chatting to him as we approach episode 200 of the Being Freelance podcast. You can find them all wherever you get your podcasts or at beingfreelance.com. If you've been enjoying this podcast but never left a review, then maybe now might be the time. But yeah, 200 is on the cards and we are doing it live in London as part of the underpinned Freelancers Christmas Party. Uh, which should be a great night, basically. Lots of dancing, free beer, what's not to love? And we are doing episode 200 live. So get your tickets if you've not already. Details are in the events page at beingfreelance.com. Come and dance along with other members of the community. Oh, yes. Speaking of which, have you joined the community? A link at beingfreelance.com. And also, one more thing. I, this week, published a gift ideas list for freelancers. So if you've got people in your life right now saying, I don't know what to get you for Christmas, send them that link. (laughs) It is full of ideas. And what I love about it is that loads of them are actually made by freelancers, which means you kind of give the gift twice. You give the gift by buying it for the person you intend it for, but you also give a gift because you know a freelancer is going to get some extra pennies coming in their direction just ahead of Christmas. So yeah, please check out the freelancers Christmas gift inspiration which is in the articles section of beingfreelance.com and let me know what you're asking Santa for I know you've been good this year you have right okay let's crack on and chat <laughs> so I'm laughing because um oh, who was it let me it was Devin Fox hi Devin who um is a freelance graphic designer and on Instagram tagged me it basically has created a um an Instagram thing on his grid called Let's Crack On because I say it so often. (laughs) And I hadn't even really noticed why I say it, but yep, every episode. Let's Crack On. Thank you, Devin. Anyway, I like it a lot. If you're uh, on Instagram, I'm at sfolland on there. Come find me. Anyway, Let's Crack On 
Forgive me for saying it yet again. With this week's guest, let's find out what it's like being freelance for illustrator Stanley Chow. Hey, Stanley. Hi, how are you doing, Steve? I am good. So as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Okay. Um, so I guess it's quite a long story, I guess, in a, in a weird way. So um, I went to art school and all that kind of stuff. But when I left art school, I went back to my folks' house, uh, worked in their chippy. And then whilst I was working at Chippy, uh, I served the bloke. He, he, he basically comes in like every week. So he, he orders like um, sweet and sour sauce and fish and chips, which is a quite a weird combo. But, um, <laughs> but whilst the sweet and sour sauce was getting ready, I was just kind of um, I was doodling on, on the chip paper at the front. And he asked me, like, um, what do you do? I said, well, I work in the Chippy, obviously. <laughs> I said, no, no, what do you really do? He says, well, you know, I've just studied art I was finished art school and um and that's what I want to be you know and he said well I'm an art buyer for this ad agency in town I can set you up with an interview at the ad agency you know and he um he set me up with this interview with this guy in I can't remember his name this was almost 25 years ago now (laughs) and he says well we don't really take on um illustrators here at our agency but my friend she's an art agent She's down the road. I can sort out an interview with you for, with her. She's called Jenny Lamb. She's the owner of an agency called the Northern Art Collection. You know, I had an interview and she took me on, basically. So I, I, I kind of got an agent really soon after leaving art school. And that was, that's what kind of prompted me to be a freelance illustrator. I mean, like anything was better than working in Chippy, really. And um, So, yeah, so I, I left home. I, I moved into town. And um, the thing was, it's like um, when you're starting out, there's not that much work really. So, um, so whilst whilst living in town, central Manchester is, um, I started DJing as well. So um, that kind of paid for my living whilst I was um, trying to find work as a illustrator, basically. So that's kind of the the short way around of explaining how it became a freelance. If you hadn't have been doodling, none of this might have. Well. Yeah. <laughs> So as you say, though, you, you, you move in, you've got an agent. Did you also try and find your own work when you decided to, 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 to make that move or were you relying on them? Well, well, before the agent, I was kind of like going up and down like, like to London and, and meeting people and with no kind of avail, really. I mean, I was meeting, trying to meet other agents as well. But also at the same time, I was trying to, I was sending my work to like different publishing, publishers and stuff and tr- trying, to get, trying to get like interviews and I mean, I can, but to no avail, really. You know, it was almost kind of like every journey we went down to London was a was a lost cause. So, um, so yeah, you know, every time I came back with my, you know, my tail between my legs, and um, just kind of carried on working the chippy, and just you know, fingers crossed, something might happen at one. And did you ever lose, like, I know, I guess, belief or confidence in it? Or oh, you... oh no, I never lost belief. I, I, don't get me wrong; it's like, yeah, my, I, you know, I, I utter confidence in myself because I knew I was good. You mean know, it was it was something that I was always aware of when I was, even from when I was really little, you know, utter belief in myself, maybe too much belief, really. Yeah, so if it didn't happen now, I knew it just, you know, it'll happen another time, you know. That was how I kind of dealt with things, really. Yeah. So you're DJing, back in your story, this is, you're DJing, yeah. you're you're trying to find your first clients. How, how did it s- sort of pick up from there? Well, well this is it, like, um, you know, I was getting a bit of work from my agent, but I was also whilst I was DJing, I was meeting lots of um, I was meeting lots of new people really in the central town. I was meeting other DJs, other club promoters. They wanted like their posters done for club nights and stuff, and I was kind of designing flyers for my own club nights that I was when I where I was DJing and stuff like that. And 
it, I just became like, you know, there was this network of, of kind of creative people doing stuff all the time in the centre of Manchester. And yeah, and we all kind of like helped each other and, and we all trying to get, give each other the work if we could, you know. So, so I made some bands, if they want a record sleeve design or whatever or, or, or poster design for their gig, I'll, I'll do that basically for them. So that was the early, early steps basically into, into freelance illustration and design. And did you have confidence in like making those kind of first, I don't know, jobs as in like pricing wise or what you were delivering or, or did it feel? Oh, right. Well, uh, pricing wise, it was, it was just kind of like uh, I'd, I'd do it for free, really. I mean, I just, it was, in those days, I mean, like we're all, we're all, we're all doing everything for nothing, you feel me? You know, like we're all playing, mm. playing gigs and, and stuff. You just kind of, it'd be 50 quid here, you know what I mean? That would, and that'll be like, yeah, 50 quid, that'll do. And the pint, okay, cool. You know, that's the kind of transactions we were making, really, back in back in those days. But in terms of kind of like other bits and bobs of like, I was getting bits of magazine work as well. But my agent was, was dealing with pricing then, so I was kind of, you know, I didn't really have to worry about pricing on that side. You know, the actual real work in publishing. But like, you know, I, I, I call like, you know, like anything that's based in music was just kind of like fun work, you know. So, yeah. And so, how did it? Continue to grow from that. I basically got to a point where I was DJing more than I was actually um, illustrating really for a good few years. But also, I I, um, I got poached by another agency, so that changed a lot of things. So I was at the Northern Art Collection, and they got poached by the Central Illustration Agency, which is really cool. The, the guy that owns Central Illustration Agency, he's called Brian Greenwood. He's an illustration legend, as far as I'm concerned. But he did a talk at my at my college. And that's when I knew when, like, you know, when you leave art school, getting an agent is probably one of the easiest ways of finding work. But anyway, when I left art college, I did send him a letter. Well, sent his agency a letter. They they sent me a standard kind of, we don't take on students, blah, 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 you know. But then a few years later on, they they came and poached me. So that was kind of quite a a nice kind of turnaround, really. (laughs) But then things kind of picked up from there on, really, you know, and... um, I started working for like magazines like Sugar Magazine and Just Seventeen and War Magazine, doing kind of fashion-based illustration, which was kind of the the thing I was into at the time, and it was the kind of direction I was pushing myself. It was kind of like like fashion-based illustration, and that kind of you know that kind of progressed into more work, and then I ended up being a a storyboard artist, you know, for a few years doing Head and Shoulders adverts, you know storyboarding their adverts before they came out and stuff so it was all you know just doing loads of little little bits of kind of jobs like that really as well as DJing and stuff so basically you know I was I was back in the like late 90s early 2000s I was illustrator strict DJ and so how how did you sort of balance your I guess your work day back then Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the work there was, you know, I DJ that night, you know, and then if I wasn't too hungover, I'll, 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 I'd work to my portfolio and then like do like as illustration in the daytime. But the thing was, I wasn't getting that much work in, you see. So, so like, so when I was working, it was purely adding stuff to my to my portfolio as opposed to actually doing um, actual illustration work. I mean, it's like I'd be lucky to get one commission every three months, really, in those days. So, so that's why I needed the the DJing to kind of pay pay the rent, even though rent wasn't that expensive at the time. And so, you, so you had quite a lot of I don't know. Would you call them side projects, or you would simply think of things to work on in order to take your work yeah. in the direction you wanted it? 
Yeah, ex- exactly. Basically, trying to put stuff in your portfolio that would try and get you work. That's what we were encouraged to do, like in the early days, and, and buy our tutors. You know, be as be as varied as possible, cast your net as wide as possible to get as much working as possible. Basically, that was the that was the mantra we were, we were given when we were younger. So, so that's what I did this year. I just, I just filled my portfolio with as much stuff as I possibly could. And that's the thing as well. I guess talking about the early 2000s, late 90s, yeah. you wouldn't have had, or maybe you did, uh, like a website, a web presence type thing. No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. It, was, it wasn't until like, like MySpace, which came out in about 2004, 2005, before I appreciated what the internet really did for me, really, you know. I mean, like this. This was it. It was um, in those days, like um, because I was DJing, I didn't have time to, to like to kind of go out and look for clients. Really, like uh, actively look for clients. I mean, like you'll meet people on the way, and then a lot like through networking, just by hanging around, you you just meet people, and that's how jobs might happen. So you just just putting yourself out and about basically is where jobs would appear, as opposed to actually directly kind of like I'm going to knock on your door, knock on someone else's door. Mm. So, um, so, so that kind of happened for, like from DJing, but then I totally relied on my agent. You see, like um, I didn't know where we, I didn't know where my work was coming from. I just relied on my agent to kind of give me a phone call every few months, basically, to, and that was that was how how work came in, you know. But then with MySpace, that that kind of really changed changed the game, really, because because that's when you could actually kind of you, you could kind of curate yourself. Then you, you know you kind of put work up on, on MySpace, then. Then people were directly coming to you, you see, and, and that was a that was a whole new thing. Essentially, like once I understood MySpace, I could see, and you could see social media being a thing. I kind of leapt on that really as soon as it kind of um, started to establish itself. What did you do to leap on it? Especially, I guess, as well because MySpace had a lot of music elements to it, and you yeah. clearly had that music element to you. Well, yeah, well, I use it MySpace to to kind of like promote myself as a, as a DJ as much as anything else, you know. Mm. You know, you could just put your artwork on it, and that was it. You see, and and it's out in the space, you know. What I mean? And then you then you follow other people, as many other people as possible who who might be interested in what you did, and then hopefully you'll get some feedback. Really, you know, something might happen, and lo and behold, something actually did happen. You know, when things changed was when when the White Stripes got in touch with me, like via MySpace. So that's that's when my kind of DJ career diminished, and I, I did a bit of work for the, for the White Stripes. Wow! Like, <laughs> I mean, when you got yeah. that message from them, was was it like just totally out of the blue? Was there any connection there, or like they stumbled upon your work? Yeah, they stumbled across my work, but yeah, it was completely out of the blue. I mean, like the thing was, I did a I did a bootleg White Stripes poster, basically. I just posted up on MySpace, and it kind of like um, travelled around the internet, un- unbeknownst to me, because I didn't really understand it then. <laughs> but it eventually got to them, and um, and and because you you leave your phone number on your MySpace account, yeah, I got a phone call at three o'clock in the morning, and uh, saying like, um, uh, "Where the White Rights Management? Uh, we're seeing your poster." And I was literally crapping myself because I thought, "Oh my god, I just done a bootleg White Rights poster," <laughs> and, they, and they're just going to they're ringing me up to kind of like sue me. Yeah. But then I said, "Oh, Jack and Meg have seen your poster, and they want to work with you." But by the way, please take down that poster off the internet. <laughs> so, so yeah, so so there it was. I ended up doing some work with the White Stripes. Wow. So, what did you yeah. do for them? I designed um, I designed a USB stick for them. It was it was a little caricatures of Jack and Meg, and it was released as a special edition, like for their Icky Fun album. And so, how did things 
change from there? Well, enough. It, like things kind of went downhill because it was literally just before the recession. Really, you, you could we had that you know the the economic crunch kind of starting in two thousand and seven, and then kind of in two thousand and eight, it kind of really took hold. I think so. So yeah, I could see a downturn in work, but then Twitter appeared and Tumblr basically Tumblr with the, with the other two um, online kind of social media things well tumblr first really i started using tumblr a lot whilst myspace was dying and i was slowly meeting meeting more and more different art directors on tumblr and then i was getting more work and but but also i was i was getting work because you know i i had the kind of weight of i had that white strikes on my cv so basically lots of people from america got to kind of hear about me and um and then before i know it i'm i'm working for the for the new yorker magazine like on a on a pretty regular basis, and then it just kind of it, it kind of exploded about ten years ago, I'd say, and uh, I started working for New Yorker, Time Magazine, Variety, and all those and all those kind of big American magazines that you always dreamt of working for, and then all of a sudden they're they're literally calling you up every week, really. So that was kind Man. of quite, um, quite that mad. must have felt amazing. It, it, it was, especially at the time I just had a baby in 2009 and uh, and you know we just moved into a new house had a baby and no work was coming in and then all of a sudden it's, things started started to slowly happen in fact a lot of things happened that, around about that time it, it was it was almost like um like for a whole year there was nothing and then like, like with the help of social media things just really kind of slowly erupted you know because of the white stripes I started doing more kind of like cartoons of of different people, of celebrities and stuff. And um, I started doing like footballers as well. And Edgar Davids, the footballer, he he saw one of my pictures on Twitter basically. He said, "I want one done of me." So the picture of Edgar Davids that ended up on his as, as his Twitter profile page, and that just kind of grew into something else. You mean it? You kind of it kind of opened up a door to the world of football illustration, basically. Like in, in some circles, I'm better known as a as a football illustrator than I am just a normal illustrator. If you know what I mean. And yeah, but that 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 opened up that side. But then you know, I was also kind of breaking America at the time as well. So it was all kind of, but all that is. And then I was selling loads of prints. And then what I think was was like people started emailing me, "Can you sell? Can you sell this picture as a print?" And and I'll just sell it as a print. You know, that evolved into being a have my own print shop basically now did you then set up like a an online shop but like when was that like 2010 2010 like? i was kind of you know i was just set up a shop just just to sell like like, like a couple of pictures of, of of celebs um and also is a street scene of a of oldham street which is where is the street where i used to dj a lot but people people lapped it up so so that kind of that was how my print shop evolved. Really, it allowed me to kind of initially sell prints from a ch- from a cheap, crappy printer. I sold so many prints, and like in the first year, that I could buy a bigger printer, and it just kind of grew and grew from there. So that was growing whilst my illustration career was kind of getting bigger. So everything just kind of works off each other, really. So you're you're actually literally fulfilling those print orders as they come in yourself. Yeah. I was, and then and then I, I got someone to help me whilst I was illustrating. What, somebody who worked alongside you, or virtually, or? Well, well, initially I was I was doing all this from home, um, and then whilst I like we had a spare room where where I worked from, but um, 
yeah, but, but whilst I got really busy, I basically hired one of my mates to kind of come in and just help me out like three days a week. Can you just press print for like a whole day <laughs> and then take the prints to a post office and I'll give you 50 quid a day, you know? And he was like, yeah, I'll do that, you know? So that was happening. But then I was getting busier and busier and busier. I'm sending more and more prints. And so I moved into town, basically. I got a studio in the center of Manchester. And this is where I, um, I don't know if you remember, you, you, you interviewed a guy called Christian a couple of years ago. Yes. Who, who I hired to work for me. I got, got him to come and, you know, assist me in doing bits and bobs here and also help me run the print shop as well. So, and how did that feel like suddenly moving, like actually into a studio space and like bringing somebody on board? Um, like, did, did that sit well with you? Like that whole sort of more intense sort of, I know, feels, feels more of a business, doesn't it? Yeah, it was it was it was a bit bittersweet really because you know I was I was pleased to move out because the, the second child came along, and it got to a point where I can't actually do any more work in this house. Well, so we've got two two little kids kind of in the building, but also you know, it, it, I mean like it was a bit of satisfaction because I could see my kind of career moving along, and it was and it was kind of like and it was it, it almost felt like you know I've justified myself in 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 doing this as a job. When 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 I got my big studio on my own, and then hired someone else full time to kind of work with me, it was, it was a justification that I was doing the right thing, really, because, because you spent so many years slaving away, not really knowing what direction you're going to head in, and then 10, 11 years down the line, it's like, oh, this is actually works out really well. Yeah, and is that how we find you today? Has anything changed since then? Well, not really. Except it's just getting. I'm just getting busier, and um, and I'm selling more prints, and but also at the same time I'm I'm trying other different things as well, you know, like like making making customized football shirts and stuff, just to keep me kind of just to keep me amused really. But I don't DJ anymore. <laughs> Let's touch on work life balance because yeah. like when you were working from home, like how how uh-huh. was it for you back then? It was. I'll, I'll work all hours of the day. I'll basically wake up. Um, I'll work until I had to kind of do something like, like, like maybe change the baby's nappy or, or eat some food and stuff. And then I'll work until like two in the morning, go to bed, maybe, you know, have half a, half a night's sleep with a crying baby. And then, you know, go back to bed, wake up at 10 in the morning, work until, dinner time it was yeah it was it was all around the clock to a point where i wasn't really kind of good at anything really because i was i was pretty much knackered all the time so ironically whilst i was working at home the work-life balance was pretty unbalanced but since i've been working in town i've, I've set myself really strict hours but once i say strict hours like relatively strict hours I'll, I'll come in to work at 10 and i'll leave at leave at six or seven basically and i realized that's actually giving me a better work-life balance, ironically, when I'm spending more time away from home. Yeah. And do you manage to take, like, breaks, you know, like holidays? Yeah, we, yeah, we have set holidays. Like, you know, we, we have this, the, 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 the May half term is, is always a holiday we always use and, and late and late August as well is, a, is when we always go on holiday. So I try to kind of um, get as much work done before we go on holiday. But, but you know, but my problem is, is like, I, I find it very hard to switch off, you see. If I go away without my computer, I'm, 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 I just tense up basically because it's like, oh my god, I need to do this, I need to do this, you know. 
And then when I go, when I, you know, when I go away with, with, with my computer, I end up probably not spending enough time actually being on holiday, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a, I find it really hard that, you know, because my, my brain is constantly worried about work and I'm constantly thinking about work all the time, whether it's my own work or somebody else's work, you know. I'm con- I guess that's just the kind of the way a creative thinks, you know what I mean? It's like they're constantly kind of having ideas all the time. And these days, do you deal directly with clients or if people get in touch with you, do you direct them towards your agent? Uh, it, it depends on, on who it is, really. Like, um, it depends on, on how the person engages with me via the email. You know, sometimes you get an email message and it sounds really kind of um, formal. And, and sometimes you know that there's lots of money involved. Then I'll just send them to my agent. Sometimes you get a more chatty kind of email and then thought, mm, yeah, I'll, I can deal with this one myself, you know. So it's just a kind of, you know, it, yeah, it's it's one of those it's feelings when I, when, I get, when I get an email, whether I send it over to my agent or I'll handle it myself. Usually if I think a job's going to bring in like five figures or so, I'll send it to my agent because they'll yeah. be able to get more money out of them. Yeah, even though they take the cut, they're better at dealing with that. Yeah. And how about managing like your, I don't know, I guess your workload? Do you manage to put off deadlines or no's? Like, oh no, oh no, never miss a deadline. That's 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 the absolute kind of forbidden, you know. But um, but no, I, I, I've learned how to say no. That's the that's the that's the biggest lesson in all my life is learning how to say no. When you start out, you say you gotta say yes to everything because you don't know when your next job is. That's what you always taught back in the day. I don't think anyone assumed that anyone would get so so busy to a point where where you have to say no. I'm spending my I say no ninety percent of the time now. I mean, like even since I've been talking to you, I can, I've seen two emails I'm going to have to type no to you know, <laughs> that just come in. So it's um yeah it's 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 really crazy for me now. I don't you know I've I've kind of hit on a formula where everyone just wants a bit of my work really, and um I'm yeah you know, I'm totally um flabbergasted by it but at the same time it's kind of like i've got to say no to these people and that really really it's like a dagger to the heart sometimes you know to me because also at the same time you're making someone else feel pretty sad that you've got to say no to him is there anything that like makes you feel like you need to say no you know that you've learned over time well yeah there's two things that simply if i can't fulfill if they if they give me a deadline i can't fulfill it you you know there's no way i can fit this in you've got to say no you mean and but then there's there are some jobs where it's like I don't really fancy drawing your grandmother and your pet dog, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, but you just got to say it in the nicest kind of possible way, really. You know. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'll, pro- I'll probably get like, like a pet dog, like maybe, maybe three or four times a week, or maybe maybe three or four grandmothers a week or two. You know, <laughs> I, I get like, um, I get like a, I get like a, like a wedding anniversary ones about 10 times a week um so yeah they're the kind of you know they're the jobs that that are most regularly knows basically but but yeah they're also kind of other kind of magazine jobs and um, and other commissions and ad ad campaigns i've said no to recently which which is kind of like he said you know you got you know you want to do him but i've already made a you know a promise to someone else i've got to do this job so so you, you i mean it's like if i feel if there's it will, it will cause me any bit of stress in missing a the deadline, then chances are I'll say no. Mm. Are you like someone who sets goals for what you do or do you just see how things go? Oh, there's no goals. I just kind of, you know, yeah, just just, just see how things go because 
because as a, as a freelancer, I have, um, I don't know what's going to happen the next day. You know, I'm, I'm worried every day that like this last job will be my last job. You know, what I mean, because one day it just might just stop. You know, and um, I, I'm I'm never kind of I never rest on my laurels. I'm never taking anything for granted. So so at the same time, that's why I don't have any goals because I mean, like my only goals are to kind of make sure I make enough money for, for my family and keep a roof over our heads and feed the kids and stuff. You know. And send them to school and whatever, and buy them what they want. They're my only goals in like having life. And but in terms of creative goals, it's just kind of like just carry on doing what I love doing, which is illustrating. Really, in terms of kind of bucket list, I've kind of I feel like I've achieved all my bucket lists. You know, I've worked for all the people I've wanted to work for over the last just twenty odd years now, twenty three years since I've been freelance now. And um, I take every day as it comes is 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 my mantra really. Nice. Now, Stanley, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Well, how you? This this took me all all week <laughs> to <laughs> to trying to think of something up. You know, yeah. Okay, so uh, I'll bring these down. Okay, so um, one fact is, um, Sue Bradley Wiggins wanted to um, buy the copyright off one of my illustrations, and I said no. The one is um, I got sacked by a by a club when I was DJing because Lamal came into the venue, and the manager came over and said, "Look, Lamal's in the club. Uh, can you play a Kajugu record?" <laughs> and I, I said no, and then subsequently got sacked. <laughs> um, the one is um, I nearly ended up on a um, uh, Great British Bake Off because um, they saw some pictures on my Instagram. And they looked really good, and thought like they asked me to audition for Great British Bake Off, and I got to the last round before I didn't get through. Wow. Okay. By the way, thank you so much for bringing the word Kajagugu. <laughs> I don't th- nearly two hundred episodes first mention of Kajagugu. I'm glad that's been rectified. Um, so Bradley Wiggins, were you selling one of the portraits? And he was like, "I want, <laughs> I want a bit of money from that." <laughs> well, yeah, well, kind of. Well, he. he it was the year I did a portrait of him, like the year he um, he won the Tour de France. His management um, rang up and said, "Look, uh, you know, we want the copyright off off this, um, and this is how much we're going to offer you." And I said, "I don't think that's enough money." But he got a print. It's, there's, apparently, there's one on it in his gym <laughs> in front of him whilst he's um, he's got his kind of um, exercise bike thing, and apparently, it's in front of his exercise bike, so he's looking at it whilst. <laughs> is <laughs> in his gym but but he's also I don't know if you ever saw it, it, it the, the picture that he wanted was um, the copyright it, it also ended up on a Skoda advert um, you know he advertised for Skoda what, and you when it was used in the Skoda advert you still owned for copyright yeah I did yeah ah smart move unless of course it's not true um, you got sacked for not playing Kajagugu yeah. oh, now I can't quite decide how much weight Lamar would have over like that. What year was that vote, by the way? Ninety nine, I think it was. Sort of like that. Mm, Which would be past their no respect, disrespect to fair listening. It's yeah, not but, like they they would have been yeah, hugely but, famous, right? But, but the but the owners were like eighties nerds. They had eighties night every other night when I wasn't DJing. And for Bake Off. You're clearly a keen baker. Like, what's your, what are your favourite recipes that people would have been seeing on Instagram? 
Oh yeah, or oh, pork pie, pork and chorizo pie. Oh, it does sound good. But and when you went for it, like, did you? Because you have to be able to bake everything, like not just a a pastry. You gotta. Well, that's what I realised when you saw the other bakers. They they were they were absolute. All the bakers that were in the room were like were super super bakers, basically. You know, I mean, they were part time bakers, but they could they could have worked in any kind of bakery. You know, I mean, they all they all all felt like they were semi pro, but I felt I was pretty kind of you know pretty low standard because because I was only on it because because my wife takes good pictures. <laughs> She's a photographer. <laughs> And, um, and and you know she made she made all the cakes and pies look really nice you know it was it was but then you realise you know me came up with the other, with the other people they they knew exactly what they were doing I just made knew how to make a pie look nice ah uh, do you know you're very good one of these isn't true <laughs> <laughs> you've just I was thinking it was going to be Bake Off but you've just made that sound very true Bradley Wiggins I mean it sounds totally feasible which makes the Kajagoogoo ones feel not true but equally I can't believe why you would pick Kajagoogoo as your <laughs> coach unless you once made a pact with a friend to try and get Kajagoogoo into <laughs> every interview yeah. that you ever do I'm going to say the lie is Kajagoogoo that is true I was sacked because yeah the <sighs> And what happened, what, what happened was, it was like half halfway through the evening, or towards the end of the evening, the the, the manager, the owner of the of the bar, he came up to me. He says, "Well, I said I haven't got Kajigugu on me. Why would I have a Kajigugu record?" And he said, "Well, I've got one in the back." He says, "Oh, you're kidding me!" <laughs> so so he, basically, he basically kind of in the middle of the night he kicked me off the decks and then put Kajigugu on, and that was it. That was me over. He said uh, the morning after, I got a phone call saying like, uh, "We won't be needing your services next week." Amazing. So yeah, that was it. Um, okay, which means Bake Off isn't true. Yeah, Bake Off isn't true. Ah, oh, but can you make a pork pie? No, kind of hell. Oh, but, but, no, but, but I can cook though. I can. Yeah, my, my wife, my, my wife is the baker in the house. I'm the, I'm the, you know, because I worked in my dad's takeaway. I'm, I can cook anything that you that you <laughs> on the Chinese menu basically. Awesome, Stanley. Before we wrap up, like, what would you say has been the biggest challenge of being freelance um the biggest challenge it's um oh wow it, I, oh the biggest challenge of being freelance is actually kind of a it's, it's a money thing really it's knowing what to do when the money stops coming in that is the biggest challenge do you kind of um carry on in um in persevering in trying to sell your wares or do you actually just kind of quit and um try and find a proper job that was the, my biggest challenge, I felt, I felt. Like between 2008, 2009, literally for a whole year, there was no work coming in. And that's when I had to question myself, what choices can I make now because there's the mortgage to pay, you know? So, so yeah, that, for me, that was the biggest challenge. But also in terms of kind of in the creative sense, there was a point in my career when, when I was doing work which I wasn't enjoying at all. And I felt like I had to make a creative, artistic change. And I was like... It's a gamble to make artistic changes, you know, like when, when money is coming in already, you see. But I was just kind of, I mean, I was, I was working for editorial magazine and I, was, and I was getting quite bored of it. And I wanted to do kind of more fun stuff, which is, which is how I ended up working with the White Stripe. So it did pay off, but at the same time, 
it was like, do I take that plunge or not? So that was that was a hard. There were there were hard decisions really, but yeah. Nice. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think if you've got the confidence in yourself to to, to, be, to want to do freelance, and that's the only option, is be, being freelance, then just go for it. Take the plunge, you know, because it's like, like the thing about freelance is you, you, you can only learn on the job. Really, it's one of those, you know, for me as an illustrator, there aren't any. Not at the time. You can't work for anyone as a freelance illustrator, really. Not when I started, anyway. You have to. It was only it was only freelance or nothing, really. So, but you know, the only yeah, just kind of take the plunge and, and learn from learn from doing doing what you want want to do. Basically, I think that's the best way to. That's what I'll tell yeah. my, tell my younger self. You know, don't don't worry about it because you have to. You know. To get experience, you have to do it. You know, you can't just kind of like, you know, there is a kind of a whole kind of like, um, you know, like you won't get high because you haven't got enough experience. Then just go and do it to get the experience, you know. Even if- and it sounded like when you first started out, you had a real community of other creatives around you. Is that still like the case today? Well, uh, the building I work in, we're all creative people. So, so. It, in a sense, that is the case, kind of by default. But but back in the day, it was um, it was like, and we were, it, it all felt like the creative people I hung around were, were we were all misfits basically, who weren't after proper jobs. You know, we all we all had our eye on a on a on a different prize, which was kind of make it as a musician, make it as a DJ, make it as a writer or actor or whatever, or an artist. And we all kind of like hung around together and just kind of encouraged each other in those days. I, I didn't go out seeking it. It was just, just, it was, it was just basically I found myself in a place where that's where everyone who was hung around was was doing really. You know, we're all part time working in a bar, part time doing this. But ultimately, whatever we were part time doing, that wasn't what we wanted to do. We all wanted to be creative and, and change the world, so, so, so to speak. And and did that pay off for others around you as well? So um, so basically, yeah, um, the people I hung around with, you know, it was like people like Bally John Boy. Yeah, I don't want to name check, but yeah, Bally John Boy and Elbow and Doves and stuff like that. And then there's people who've like like working for big fashion agencies now. And and I got a friend who's just written a, a screenplay for a major feature film, and that's just come out like this year. So it's just kind of like you know we're all kind of doing our own stuff and then you know dreaming really and then it's and now it's all kind of kind of happening really you know everyone's just kind of most of my friends have become super successful from meeting at a time back in the early days in manchester that's so cool all by keeping going and supporting each other oh, absolutely what yeah. you wanted to do i'm still friends and stuff you know we still hang out whenever we can it's all it's all good Stanley, it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, but you, uh, go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through so you can check out Stanley's work. Uh, go check out his uh, awesome prints if you haven't done that before. And we'll also put a link to, you mentioned Christian uh, Duffy, wasn't it? His yeah. episode as well. So you can uh, go back and listen to that from quite a few years ago now. So that's at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, check out the videos, the articles, join the community by clicking on that link. And if you're uh, a freelance parent like myself or like Stanley, just uh, 
uh, mentioned as well. Then check out Doing It For The Kids, the other podcast I do as well. That's for freelancing parents uh, with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. Uh, but yeah, all of that is at beingfreelance.com. For now though, Stanley, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you very much, Steve, and all the best with your other podcasting endeavours and stuff. Good luck. <laughs>